Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl that dumped me twice in a week? And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. With all due respect to your wife, she's a, she's a wonderful woman. I just don't understand spending exorbitant amounts of money on experiences that kids will not remember. What do you mean? Why don't you go ahead and tell the people what you did this week? Uh, well, it has been rather a long week for me uh, celebrating our my son's uh, birthday. How old is he? 13? 13. 13. Yeah. Which would make me 42. <laughs> yeah, it would make me 42. I mean, I don't doubt your math. You're much better at it than I am. Not according to my wife. Anyway. It's surprising. <laughs> we ended up actually going to Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing about that is I know we talked about this before when I went to Vegas. Yeah. Right. Uh, when we had the family trip to Vegas, how much of a nightmare that was and how badly my wife felt. I know that she didn't want to replicate that same thing. But wasn't she pregnant when you went to Vegas? Oh, uh, was she? When we go to Vegas? You had you had your son and then she was pregnant also. Yeah, I think I think I think she was, yeah. So it's kind of like a double it's double whammy. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't have fun with her, couldn't have fun with him. Wanted to leave and just Go find a new family. <laughs> so oh, that's horrible. Such an asshole. <laughs> I am an asshole. I, you know, family trips are very stressful. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of packing. So for Disneyland, we had to endure. And my wife, oh my, she she just stepped it up. She was like, I'm not fucking this up. You know, she wanted to go super prepared. She wanted to go, you know, dialed in. Um. So she got all the snacks ready. She got the kids packed. She got changes of clothes. She even went as far as to put PJs for both kids in separate bag in their own separate bags, so we can change them. So on the way home, in case they fell asleep in the car, we could just pop them out of the car, put them in their bed. No, you know, rough wow. transition. She thought everything out, fucking like a master, and then forgot all the diapers. <laughs> imagine <laughs> luckily Ethan's potty drained and you know we only have one diaper to worry about now but the great thing about this trip was you know Ethan's a little bit older than he was at uh, in Vegas uh, oddly enough he still remembers <laughs> Vegas whenever we pass by flashing lights and, and crap like that he's like Vegas Vegas whenever he sees palm trees Vegas Vegas I'm like whenever he sees hookers Vegas Vegas <laughs> <laughs> the little cards <laughs> like yes <laughs> <laughs> Come on, over here, here, card, card. No, no, they're all over the floor. I'm like, don't look, avert your eyes. Um, so we we took off, uh, you know, in the morning, uh, really early in the morning, and this was during a weekday. It was super cheap. Um, they have different pricing during the week and during the weekday? no. Sorry, <laughs> they do, they do. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. Really? They have demand pricing anyway. Um, uh, so this was during the weekday, so it was super chill, and. There was no traffic going there. We found parking super easy. I think we were like, we, we got super good parking right next to the elevators and all that, like a brief walk away mm -hmm. and uh, got on the tram and all that. <laughs> no one tells you about, you know, how to navigate Disneyland as, as a parent. 
with two kids what? and a double stroller and it, snacks and all these things. I don't so understand. Think about it. Okay. When you go to Disneyland, what do you take? Okay. I should probably tell you that I haven't been to Disneyland since I was in high school. I, th- that's not bad. I haven't been to Disneyland since about 2007, I think. So it was our, our first time in a long time mm-hmm. and Ethan's first time. And you haven't been to Disneyland since like 04? Yeah, I think. You see a grad night? I did grad night there, but then I also went with uh, my, my ASB class. About the same. Year. Around the same time, yeah. Because we, we had friends that worked there, so I didn't even pay to get in. I just had to go sign the... Sure. Yeah, know. that's how it used to be, right? Yeah. I was asking people, but no, no, <laughs> one, no one wanted to stick their neck out. I think they changed Flash, policy. Flashing now. that 50, hey, you want, you want to be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we get there. It's a funny story, <laughs> right? We get there. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, we... Uh, park it uh, we got double stroller and all the bags and all that dude we're carrying i'm carrying a backpack we have bags for the kids we have all this uh, jackets and when it gets cold at night and all these things you know we didn't even have time to get our morning coffee luckily there were four starbucks on disney in disneyland alone really fucking amazing yeah and like actual starbucks like you can get actual starbucks i can mobile order and pay and all that Really? Yeah. Can it's you get weird. your? Can you get your? I got my uh, discount. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Thank you for finishing my sentence. <laughs> I'm wired, bro. I'm wired. <laughs> this coffee's fucking me up. <laughs> I'm dialed in. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm hyped. I got. I, I was listening to the new Kendrick album all the way here. <laughs> you know, like we got this shit. We got this shit. I'm feeling it, man. Loyalty, I'm feeling loyalty, good. Loyalty. <laughs> okay. 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 Anyway, all right. So. We get to Disneyland and we're at the elevator and all of a sudden I start realizing, fuck, we're at Disneyland. <laughs> there's an there's a fucking line at the elevator. Oh, no. There's a line at the elevator. It takes us like 10 minutes to get to the elevator, right, to, to actually go down. We go down. There's a line at the tram, obviously. There's a line at the fucking tram. Luckily, <laughs> I picked the right row. One thing that we didn't know was going through bag check. I was like, baby. Keep an eye out, like find out what people are doing with their strollers because everyone has a fucking stroller, right? You have a stroller and now all of a sudden you're seeing all these people with strollers. And I don't remember seeing any strollers. Because you didn't have a stroller. Yeah. That's it. When you when you have something like kids yeah. or a stroller, you start identifying with other people that have them. I may or may not have kicked a toddler in the head to get my churro. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll have to ask some friends the to blood churro. Did I ever tell you about my blood crates, though? <laughs> what? I think I accidentally stole some crates from a homeless guy. Milk crates? Yeah. You bastard. I know. That's his home. Well, he was getting arrested. He or wasn't going to need them. Yeah, whatever. Or his sex toy. Anyways, so <laughs> we get the bag check. I'm on, on the lookout for, you know, looking for what people are doing with their strolls. Can't seem to figure it out. You know, it's like magical. They're just somehow getting on the tram and making it off. You got to fold your stroller and get on there. Mm. Well, the kids had fallen asleep in the stroller. Oh, no. So we had to take them out of the stroller. Oh, you didn't just wait it out? No, we didn't wait it out. We were like, fuck this. We're getting on the tram right now. It was like, you know, early in the morning. Was it too far to walk? No. <laughs> so we later on found out hey this is not a bad walk because you're going through downtown disney yeah and there's a lot to see and it's all pr- relatively flat 
and there's a lot of Starbucks on the way. Mm. We could have gotten our coffee. Well, we did end up getting our coffee. So Tram takes us. Uh, had to take up an entire row because of the stroller. Double strollers were wide, and we had two kids. So I think they were like, uh, we, we did the double, the rows facing each other in the front. So it was like six people in a row where you could have probably fit 12. Mm. Right? Get there, get down, um, get our Starbucks, head to the park. You would we, think we're endorsed by Starbucks as much as we said it this episode. You right? think <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Starbucks. Mobile order and pay at a Starbucks near you. I don't know. Anyway, um, we get to the gate and we got the SoCal pass, right? The 150 for three days and all that. So it turned, if you use all three days, 50 bucks. Did you use all three days? We saw, I literally bought it the night before. So we still have two days. So we're going to have a repeat of this story sometime soon. Oh, no. Um, we have to use it by the end of May, I think. Oh, and like his picture's on it too. So like I can't go be like Ethan for a day. Exactly. Well, I mean. Everyone's picture's on it. Is it color? He, what, no, we got the kids in for free. Oh. Well, yeah. Damn. We, we, our picture's are I, on I could. And it is in color. I could Photoshop some hair or maybe put my face on. Photoshop in real life? No, I just changed the picture. He cut his hair, remember? No, not her. I'm talking about your wife's. Oh, you want to be my wife? I could do it. I think you can. Anyway, we'll, t- we'll talk about that later. You got the bone structure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the gate, show the ticket, and they're like, you need proof of residency. So Did you I have to sh- bring a bill or something? A utility bill. Are you serious? Yes. So you have to walk around potentially losing your t- utility bill and maybe not have... Well, everyone has them on their phone now anyway. Oh. So u- utility bill, driver's license, whatever, right? Okay. My driver's license, still not updated. Still maintaining my loyal San Franciscan, you know, address. But that's resident, right? Or does that not count? Nope. Really? SoCal. So she looks at it. She looks at my wife's. She's like, okay, you're good. She looks at mine. And I was like, hey, look, you know what? Mine hasn't updated, but I've been living here since 2004. Hook hook a brother up. (laughs) You know? And she just looks at me like, fuck are you? (laughs) (laughs) She she literally just looks at me like, fuck. Before us, there was this family that got turned away because they didn't have any proof of residency. So I was like, oh, man, this can't go. But none of them had it. So at least my wife was, you know, um, she said, we'll make this exception this one time for you. But next time, I was like, next time what? And she just looks at me. I was like, oh, let me just get in the park right now. So she can't do anything about it. Like, Why are you so confident? <laughs> I was about to be like, what? Anyway. <laughs> They have to take your picture and all that. So we got our picture taken and, you know, we're going around Disneyland. It was, it was phenomenal. It was magical. I, I mean, it really was the first time with the family to see the kids light up in the way that they lit up and all the sights and the sounds and the people. And, you know, Ethan was very surprisingly well-behaved because um, usually he's not in public <laughs> and, you know, our daughter wasn't bad. Uh, <laughs> trying to get her to nap and all that was kind of difficult with all the sounds and the noises and all that. And the kids fucking screaming like incessant. Um, but all things considered, I think the night capped off beautifully and everything went to plan. I think my wife did a phenomenal job of planning it. I think the times that she laid out, she planned out all the parades and where we would be. You know, uh, she really made that trip worthwhile and it was really smooth. Uh, I mean, we just kind of winged a lot of it. 
but we had uh, measuring points where we knew we had to recalibrate and look at where we were at time-wise and say, okay, we got to be here now, and what can we do, right? Why? We wanted to hit certain things throughout the day, like the parades and stuff for the kids and, mm. and let them see all that stuff, and they loved them. They loved the parades. I've never seen my kids so quiet. Okay. I guess that's a... They were really, like, dialed in, even Anastasia. You know, she was, like, the whole time. <laughs> she got a little fussy toward the end, but the electric lights... Yeah. At the very end, good parade. Good parade. They loved it, and we capped off our night, went home, and, and everything was great. So I think it was it was a worthwhile trip. And honestly, it, it was an investment in their in their childhood. And we can look back at these memories that we formed and the fuzzy pictures that we tried to take with our dying phones in the fucking Southern California heat as a memory and a reminder of the so fact that we you, built on this new <laughs> You did this for your son's... Third, third birthday? Uh-huh. Does that mean that you have a precedent and an expectation to do it for your daughter's third birthday too? That would be good. I wouldn't, uh, but by then, I think you'll have to take out a second mortgage on your fucking house to afford a Disneyland ticket. I'm just saying. You might. Okay, baby, you can go to college or you can go to Disneyland. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> Not choose, both. Choose, <laughs> choose wisely. You're only three. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into today's show. Last episode, we talked about, well... I talked about I I overshared really about wanting to be a trash man in my that youth. Was cute. But you you talked about you wanted to be famous, which is kind of ironic because I'd never picture you as someone being in the limelight. So why don't you kind of dive more into how that was something that was one of your interests growing up as a kid and kind of what happened to that? I think it kind of started with Michael Jackson. <laughs> wow. Okay. Random, right? Yeah, I loved Michael Jackson growing up. My dad had all the vinyls, still do. Um, uh, they're sitting somewhere, and I we used to listen to them and rock out. And I used to watch his music videos on TV and replicate his dance moves. God, they have like countless hours of film of me just singing the Michael Jackson songs, moonwalking, all that bullshit. Really, and he inspired me to want to be famous because I saw how he changed people's lives, like the impact that he had on my life. You know, it's like. Wow, these, this, this music was fucking cool. Wait, wait. So how old were you when you kind of made that realization that he was having an impact on people's lives rather than just performing? Well, you know how you'd watch TV and you'd get, you, you know, you'd hear about things and you'd see things. Back then, there wasn't a whole lot of information, right? Right. So what you heard was like, wow. You know, if you heard it, that shit was big. And there was a lot of news about Michael. And I, I think I was exposed to that at an early age, probably three, four uh, I, I think looking back at it, I was able to take that and, and internalize it a little bit more and kind of dissect it. Because at the time, you don't know. You're just being exposed. And you're not like, oh, shit, this is having a profound impact on my future right now. I should take notes. Yeah. Not at four. Oh, I thought you were about to say, but at five, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right? At five, I started keeping a journal and taking extensive notes on my <laughs> development throughout my childhood. Can't no. read it for shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things where you really don't internalize it. It just kind of happens like your La Bamba story, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it was like Michael was white, but he was black. <laughs> you know, growing up, like the, through the whole journey, right? We took, we went through the whole spectrum of color with him, right? <laughs> it's like the rainbow. It's a fucking rainbow. And it, it impacted me a lot, his story, his journey and all that. I was like, man, I want people to know about my life and my journey and my story. I want to be like Mike. So what was what was the fascination about sharing your life and your journey 
And like, how old were you with that? Because I, I, I don't see that as something that a five-year-old would be cognizant of, of wanting to, to do. So I, I, I th- honestly, I think it came when I was a lot older and I was able to connect the dots a little bit more as to how certain people have impact on other people's lives. And, and it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to become an artist. It was just that I wanted to share my story with people and I wanted to have an interesting story. So I deliberately used to go out of my way to make my life a little bit more interesting than what it normally was. Mm. Just by, you know, doing precarious things or, you know, being kind of like a bastard. Like what? Destroying shit, uh, being different. I, I don't know. I think it was, again, I think it was all subconscious, right? In high school, I painted my nails black, I had long hair, and everyone that would remember me would remember that they changed the student handbook countless numbers of times to keep adapting to all the changes that I would, they would need to make to keep me in check, you know, a lot of the time. And it's one of those things where you don't realize why you were doing it, but looking back, you know, 15, 20 years later, I can kind of connect the dots and say, this could be the reason why I, I grew up the way I did and I went kind of crooked and not, you know. But then how do you explain or what was it that you sort of abandoned from that path? Because you ended up going on a very traditional straight and narrow path, sort of. Yeah. I mean, engineering is a pretty straightforward industry. Yeah, but I was not a straightforward engineer by any means. Ask any of my professors. Um, okay. Should we call one up? Hold on. Yes, let's phone a friend. It's a European dial tone, asshole. <laughs> okay, well, hang it up. Let's continue. <laughs> All right. Sorry, you got to go. All right. So what changed? Um, I think in, I, I actually, you know, quite honestly, I think it was in college where I started realizing that there are so many different types of people now. It is hard to kind of pave your own path and it was a lot easier to kind of take a path and run with it instead of trying to invent my own thing. And a lot of times it's the easiest thing, right? Just take something, learn it and own it and make it better. Right. Yeah. And that's what I want. That's what I realized that I had to do. Um, I got, I got caught up with a lot of different things in, in my early years in college. And I, I guess a lot of life changing things kind of, slap me upside the head and say, hey, you know what? You need to focus. You need to take things a little bit more seriously. This is an opportunity, and and this is kind of when shit got real for me. In college, when I started flunking out because I was hardcore gaming because all my friends were doing it, and I was like, oh, well, I might as well, and I'm really good at it, so let's let's." Like, were you trying to go and get, like, sponsored and become, like, a professional gamer? No, this was before all that. This is well before all that. I mean, that's around the time period that it really started developing. Uh, it, it started like budding, early budding stages, but it didn't really take off. Was it high school or college? Because by college, there were already sponsored teams for like Counter-Strike and shit. Yeah, those those were around for a while, but those weren't those weren't paying anywhere near what they're paying now for these fucking uh, MMORPGs or, um, you know, MMO um, whatever fucking uh, games that they have now. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Anyway, that's how out of touch I am. Yeah. I had to abandon all that. And I just literally said, you know what? I can't. I just quit cold turkey. I was like a heroin addict experiencing withdrawals. I would do anything to get back into that virtual world and just unplug and disconnect because I was more addicted to it than now um, 
on the allure that, oh, all my friends are doing this. I wanted to be the best at it. I wanted to excel at it. I wanted to perfect my game. I wanted to beat those motherfuckers because I was better than them. Yeah. And that was the mentality that I started to develop because of all these games. And, and it kind of corrupted the way I thought. And so I had to take a step back and look at it from the perspective of, okay, why don't I apply that mentality to life huh. instead of a game? I thought you were already talking about life at this point. You were still talking about the game? I was talking about the game. Wow. Yeah, it got that bad. It got pretty bad. I almost flunked out of college. I did too. Yeah. So with that came the realization that I had to stop. And with that came the realization that I needed something else to do, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't just quit cold turkey and not like, it's it's kind of like nicotine. You need the gum. Or yeah, the something to fill the time or whatever. So I uh, became mentoring uh, students. That's, um, that's be- a jump. Well, I figured, you know what? I've failed enough. I know how to do it really well, right? It's funny. I had the exact same mentality and approach. How was yours? How, how did yours develop? Uh, I mean, that's what led me into student affairs. Okay. You know? So that's why you're doing what you're doing that's now. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now as far as with the university. For your ball and chain? For my ball and chain, yeah. And your nine to five? My nine to five, yeah. I took that approach and I developed it more of a, how do I use this to become a leader? right? Mm-hmm. By motivating people. And I, I mentored, I think I had three students and I mentored them and helped them get out of, help them get out of academic difficulty and really excel and turn their lives around. And I got a, a good stable research job, was making a decent income for a college kid. I had everything going in the right direction. And I joined, you know, uh, my fraternity. I said, how can I make this better? You know, I I instantly saw the fraternity as an opportunity to become a leader. Yeah. Right. And take it to the next level and start start evolving. And that's a lot of the change. That's where it came. But it hinged on one event. Which was the gaming or Michael Jackson? That was all kind of subconscious, like the leadership and all that and and pioneering and getting myself out there and, and having an interesting story that all kind of folded that rolled up into it, that whole this whole experience. And I recently had to kind of think about this um, because I had a, a, a workshop at Starbucks and it was uh, leading at Starbucks and they really wanted you to identify your purpose, right, as a, as a person. So at this workshop, they really kind of honed in on trying to guide you toward finding your purpose. And I had a lot of time to reflect and read a lot of articles that they gave us and material. And this is kind of where it all came together for me. Becoming a leader was what I wanted to do because that is how you tell your story. You tell your story by experiencing things that leaders experience, the hardships, the trials, the tribulations, the conflicts, working through those and how you overcome that adversity. I took that model and I took it and to adapt it to my career. Interesting. And I grew it in that, in that way. And I really said, okay, I want to be a leader in my career, in my industry. How do I do that? How do I pave the way for myself? Because no one else is going to do it for me. You know, mm-hmm. how do I make it so that I am a leader in, in what I'm doing? And that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now. You know, I'm trying to become that leader, uh, become that role model for people that they can come to and they can say, how did you do it? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of the vanity in me, but I've always wanted to be someone that other people kind of looked up to, even though I'm, five foot seven and you can't really look up to me but you know it's one of those things where it's more metaphorical i'd hope (laughs) so 
it's interesting that you connect those dots of of knowing that you want to be a leader and how to apply it. Because I, I feel like our, our experiences parallel each other mm-hmm. in, in the sense of we've learned a lot, we've done a lot of things, and then we go and share this information with other people. For me, I do it just in the sense of like, I just don't want you to make the same mistake I did. Right. And it's like kind of that's to the depth of how I ever saw it. Yeah. And you take it to another level of, of making it as part of owning the idea of being a leader. I've never thought of myself as a leader for whatever reason. I don't know. Like, like could go into whatever self-esteem failed me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, you took self-esteem courses know, as a kid. That's I ironic. I, that's why I was bringing it up. But I think only as I've gotten older, I feel like I have the knowledge base to be a leader, but it's still something that I don't necessarily actively pursue. So what is that? How does that change your experience with, with things that you're doing? You have to have a heightened consciousness of what it is that you're doing and what your purpose is and what your goals are. You have to be very methodical and, and plan a lot. And you know what? Oddly enough, as much as you plan, sometimes you have to have the ability to adapt when things change. So do you feel like being a leader is almost a fixation rather than uh, something that you're trying to like attain or you're looking for? Yeah, I think so. It was kind of like the gaming thing, right? Yeah. Trying to excel in that. And it became more of, I wouldn't say a Kind of a fixation, but even deeper than that, I think like an obsession. Mm. And it, it's hard for me to admit that because it almost cheapens the whole the whole pursuit of, of the leadership role. But it's something that I've really been passionate about that I've always wanted to do. I've, I've wanted to make, uh, be a part of something that was greater than me, which I am now, produce a product that made people happy, which has been my philosophy since God knows when. Um, this is probably my teenage years. Interesting. And I am uh, oddly, I found my way in that, in that now in the food and Bev. That's kind of why I gravitated toward food and Bev. I was in alcohol and spirits that makes people happy, but it also destroys lives. So I was like, eh, maybe not juice just kind of landed in my lap. <laughs> Quite honestly, would still be making the devil's poison. So without jumping ahead, where, where did you, you pursued a master's in, in what? Brewing science and engineering. Okay, so how, wh- where did that kind of come from? From you being in college and looking to be a leader, to deciding, you know what, I'm going to go for a master's degree in brewing science and engineering. Ah, that's good. Uh, they at the time brewing wasn't big. It wasn't as no, it big wasn't, as yeah. people. It, it's really popped off in the last like five years. Yeah, it really has, especially in the last five years. I mean, I think it's exponential growth. And if you think back to when we were in college, which was you know the early 2000s. Microbreweries were a thing of rare scarcity. They were yeah. very, very scarce. I knew one guy at UCR that brewed his own beer. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he was probably a maverick at the time. Probably, you know? yeah. There was a group of us. There was actually a group of us. We would go over to each other's houses. We would brew. I had brew set up. I built a fridge that's in my backyard right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were really passionate about it. And I thought, you know what? I could be a leader in this industry because it's it's so easy. It would be so easy to do it because there aren't a lot of people to, that are populating this space. And you know what? This could be the next big thing. You know, you say the idea, it, it cheapens it to go for leadership. But I think there's a certain savvy you have to know. If you want to excel at an accelerated pace, you have to do the market analysis of where that is. there's a space for you to do that. You have to have a certain awareness. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't just go into shit blindly and figure out, in hindsight, oh, wait, this kind of didn't work out. I didn't plan this properly. Well, you just wasted all that fucking time where all these channels are being crowded right now and mm-hmm. oversaturated where 
there is no room for you anymore. It's tough. Yeah. You have to be very calculated and you do, I guess you're right to an extent, you have to be aware. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily cheapen it. It sounds kind of cheap. That's why I'm, I'm saying that it, it, it does. I don't think it cheapens it from, from what you've shared. I think it's, it's just a lot more methodical. Cause I have a friend that wanted to become a principal and that was her ultimate goal. She wanted to be a principal at a high school and she wanted to do it before she turned 30. Mm. And so she positioned in herself to be in specific districts where she had the ability to move up a lot faster than she would you know, being sure. here in our area. Sure. So I think that, I mean, it's a similar experience. Like she wants yeah. to have this specific impact here. You had things that you were interested in. You had this idea as far as how you wanted to be a, a thought leader. <laughs> <laughs> In your in any field, really, just you wanted to be able to bring your experience and expertise, and and enlighten those around you, and you kind of found this little narrow path that no one was really doing, and that had to have been like what two thousand seven. Yeah, the two thousand ten was when I left, and that's it. Yeah, it all it all kind of went cascaded downhill from there, and then back uphill. <laughs> and, and, and that was the funny part about the beer industry. Right after, it's funny. It's so fucked up too. Right after we graduated college, the economy collapsed. Right, right. after I graduated, you know, uh, from Davis, the beer industry collapsed. Really? Anheuser-Busch and InBev were merging. Oh, I didn't know that. And that was what I was going after. And, and I got it to an extent, and then I didn't have it because they started firing a bunch of people and mm. they weren't just, they weren't interested in long-term commitments to anyone anymore right yeah shorting on pensions and all these things oh it was a nightmare yeah so the the crown jewel of the brewing world in my opinion and they still really are pioneers in their own regard was just unattainable for me and that crushed everything that i had um was that during the time or was that before you were unemployed no actually that came in uh 20 what was it 12 when was Ethan born? 2014. 2014. Fucking A. <laughs> don't even, 2012 is when I got married. Still significant, still counts. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> uh, that was on my own regard. And that was because I knew the direction that I was heading was not the direction that I wanted to go ultimately. I wasn't making any headway toward my goal of becoming a leader. It was just spinning my wheels and getting nowhere. And at a certain point in life, as, a, as an individual, as a, as a functional participant in your own life, Hey, listen to that statement. Functional, active participant in your own life. You have to actually engage in things and make decisions and and make life changes that are going to influence you in the future. So how long did it take before you figured out that your wheels were spinning and you weren't going anywhere? Uh, Four years. That's a long time. That's a long time. So what was that four-year period about? A, A lot of learning about myself, learning about my limits, what I can tolerate, um planning, researching, identifying, networking, a lot of just self-realization and and realizing that, uh, you know, what I wanted was attainable. I just needed to retool everything. And I did. Mm. That two month period was like an accelerated growth period for me. It really was. The two months that you were actually unemployed. So within that two month period, it really was an accelerated growth point for me. And it helped me really cage where I was in my life. Okay, well, let's go back because that yeah. at that point, how old were you? You were 20... This is three years ago. Seven, right? 29. Yeah. 20, no, it was 27, 28. Okay. 
there had to have been a point that led up to that for you to have the tools necessary to implement all those things in that in that two months. No, you got to learn a lot. Got to learn a lot. So essentially how I went about it was I focused on where I wanted to be. Okay, I said I wanted to be, uh, I think it was a COO at the time. Was was that focusing in the sense of like the secret where you kind of speak it into existence and it's going to happen? Or was it focusing on... Uh, yeah. a, a career and then like trying to reverse engineer it for people that you admired a little bit of both a lot of the the latter a little of the formal former sprinkled on top just for good measure mm-hmm. and i say that uh, for this reason this reason alone the way that i was able to retool was by looking at people in industry that i admired and seeing what they did to get there the former being I got lucky in a lot of regards. So I think that mentality of kind of willing it into existence might have actually worked. It might have putting that energy out there might have brought the universe to align with my goals and my my desires. I don't know. I can't tell you. But you know what? I remember this conversation that I was having with my uncle and my father. Um, Assuming it's your dad's brother or your mom's? My dad's brother. And this was at probably at the start when I had broken the news and I told him, you know what, I, I quit my job cold turkey. Mm-hmm. They're like, do you need any help? Oh, no. You know, I just, this is going to be a complete tangent, but I recently just learned that your father was uh, a small business owner your entire life. Yeah. And then I just put the Still two, is. well, to put the two to two together. Your, your uncle is also a small business owner. Uh, correct. Yeah. My, uh, my uh, mom's sister, my mom, fucking that mom's is correct. Brother. Yeah. My mom's brother. So not this brother then. This uncle, no, was, not okay. this one. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I was talking to my 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 dad and his brother and my uncle, and you know, we were talking about my decisions and what I wanted to do, and I said it with such conviction that my dad didn't even question it. My father, who had been questioning every decision I've made up until that point in my life, and making sure that it was the right decision for me, said, "You know what? I have faith in you." That was the one time in my life where I said, you know what? I think I could actually fucking get away with this. I think I could actually do this. You know, my dad's not questioning my shit. I might be on to something. And it was that aha moment where I said, you know what? Anything is attainable right now. I just got to put my mind to it and do it. And at the time, Ethan was about four months and I was at home with him every day alone. And he was still, you know, too young to, to really be a bother to where he's going to like take me away from anything that I was doing. So I really was focused on research. I would, you know, spend time with them, mm-hmm. research, do a lot of work, got my lean six, Sigma black belt done in those two months. Um, I, I really just balls to the wall and I just started marketing myself in a different way. And all that research kind of culminated to bring it to where I am now. Right. It re it helped me kind of just reassess where I'm at, refocus who I am take a deeper look inside myself and really just when you're out there relying solely on yourself and you have nothing else to back you but your family and your friends as your support system, but you are really all alone in the end, it really forces you to just get back to that primal mentality, that primal nature of it's do or die. Was it fight or flight? Right. Fight or flight mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was at. And I think that shaped a lot of where I'm at today. That two months, believe it or not, two fucking months 
putting yourself in that position, does that change the risks that you were taking in those two months? Or does that just have all inhibitions out the door and you're just, you know, you're not too big for anything and you're not too small for anything? No, I set, the, I set a very lofty expectation. I wanted, you know, X amount of dollars for salary. I wanted X amount of, you know, prestige for title. And that's what I was willing to take. But at the same, within the same breath, I understood that transitioning industries and getting into something that I was passionate about was more important than the pay and the prestige on the title. So I, I you took were flexible with when that came. Yeah. So what were you transitioning from then? So I was transitioning from heavy duty automotive onto food and bev. It's completely different. What was your role there? The operations manager. Oh, really? Essentially, yeah. And doing that helped me kind of develop a lot of the leadership basics and identify what I wanted to be as a leader and what I didn't want to be as a leader, right? And I had a lot of hardships. I had a lot of identity crises. My, you know, boss wanted me to be someone that I wasn't. You know, at the same time, I knew I had to kind of adapt to to do that to fulfill those expectations but not lose who I was as a person at the same time. So with that job, did you take that with the idea of, oh, this is going to get me to being a leader or did you take it because, oh, well, fuck it, it's no, money? No, it was, no, well, fuck it, it's money. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Purely. Was that yeah. like your first job out of uh, grad school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I did teaching Oh, that's a little right. Bit, I forgot right? about that. Yeah, and that actually helped a lot, um, but I'm, I don't. Yeah. I still keep in touch with a lot of those kids. Great kids. Great kids. I mentioned them in a few episodes already. Yeah, yeah. But everything builds you to where you're at right now. Everything has a, a role in shaping you and changing you and morphing you to the person into the person that you are today. Every little brick along the path that I've traveled upon that's laid the path there for me to travel upon has helped me identify who I am, like like I said earlier, who I am, my limitations, what I wanted to be, and how I wanted to get there. And that really just it takes a little bit of luck, like I said, sprinkle a little bit of luck with a lot of perseverance and a lot of just telling yourself that you can do it. And that's what I was doing the whole way, just telling myself I can do this shit, you know. And I think it was that one conversation with my dad and my uncle where my dad was like, you know what, I, I think that – that might have been the linchpin for me. Two things. Two things. You said a little bit. You keep saying a little bit of luck. How much is there really luck? If you're consistently persistent and staying true to this path, I, I mean, is it just luck just finally catches up with you or is it you just got a break kind of deal? I think initially I got a break. And once I got that break, I had to keep improving upon it, right? You so had to, you I had got, to show up basically. Exactly. I had the opportunity to transition industries and I got the job. Mm -hmm. That was probably the happiest moment of my life when I knew that's it. That's all I needed was that break, that opportunity. Now, one, don't fuck it up. Mm -hmm. Don't do something stupid. Don't say shit that's going to get you fired, right? <laughs> like almost getting kicked out of Disneyland before you got in? Right, exactly. That's, that's a perfect juxtaposition of, of the situations. It also challenges you to be the best person that you can be. Because you know what you want to achieve in the end. In my situation, I wanted to become a leader. So I knew what I had to do. I knew what I had to say. I knew the actions that I had to, to, to perform in order to get there. 
and the sacrifices I had to make. It's hard for people that don't have these desires to understand. And a lot of times it's very difficult for my wife to understand. You know, uh, She gets on me for working too long and putting in too many hours, but it's an investment in my time. And a lot of people that I, I interact with at my current job, they're like, man, it, it's like you sleep here sometimes. I, I don't intend for it to be that way. It just so happens that I'm here and I like what I do. I like the people that I work with. And the one thing that I always tell them is it's an investment now. It's, it's hard work now for an easier life for me and my family later. Hmm. And that's the way I see it now. Do you think part of that is because of how much you actually like the environment that you're in? Or is it more so that you're just that committed to this process? Uh, a lot of both. It's a, um, goes hand in hand. Yeah, it goes hand in hand. Okay. I yeah, I wouldn't be as committed if I didn't like the people I was working with and what I was doing right now. Okay. So the second thing I was going to ask was... Uh, oh, shit. We got the second one out. Yeah. Even though we went on this like long... It's all the light of day. Yeah. It's kind of... It's kinda, <laughs> Second thing is kind of a two-parter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> At what point will you be able to acknowledge yourself as a leader if you don't already? <sighs> And then the second part would be how far off are you from being where you really see yourself? Ultimately, let's start with that one. Okay. I'm far, but I don't think I'm far as in time. I'm far as in uh, jumping through. Uh, in, with my Knowing my luck, something will pop up and it's not going to be outside of Starbucks. I'm telling myself right now, anything outside of Starbucks could pop up. I, I'm not going to take it. Anything could pop up. And that right opportunity could come along and I can jump to where I wanted to be ultimately overnight. Mm. And knowing my luck, it could happen. Yeah. Um, the first part about, uh, what was it? Being a leader? Yeah. As far as uh, like, do you, do you consider yourself a leader or are you still striving to be the leader that you see of yourself? Or? Um, as far as this, the first part goes, and I answered this backward on purpose, I will always strive to be a leader even if i am a leader because by striving to be a leader i keep improving upon my leadership abilities the one piece of feedback that i keep getting from everyone that i interact with is that i listen and that takes me by surprise a lot of times it's like people don't listen to you it's like people don't treat you like a fucking human like they don't consider your opinion they don't value what you have to say just because you are in the role that you are and that bothers me. A leader should listen. A leader should embrace the people that they're leading and help guide them based on what they want to be guided by. Mm. Their principles and their core desires. Now, you can't satisfy everyone. But for me, it's easy to do because I listen. Do you think it's – this isn't a slight at you in any way, so I apologize if it comes off that way. Do you think it's because you are a talker? People assume that most people that talk a lot don't listen. It could be. And you're, I mean, you are a good listener. You do actively listen. But I think maybe that's possibly where, you know, since you are also very vocal. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that I tone it down a lot at work because I mm. do listen a lot more than I talk because I know that I'm out of my depth at some points because I'm in a job that, quite honestly, I haven't done before and I'm taking it easy. And I think that's actually what works toward my benefit, mm. putting myself out of my depth to where I don't talk a lot, to where I kind of humble myself and I step back and I rely on others to teach me. Do you think that's like, 
a quintessential point of, of success is putting yourself out of your depth? I would say, yeah, it's a lot of that. It's definitely a lot of that because it forces you to evolve. But the other part of it that's really also important is, you know, listening and growing yourself by growing those around you. And I feel like I've been doing that throughout my career to the point where the people around me are helping me become successful. It's, it's an interesting perspective. And I think it's very underrated. A lot of people always want to invest in self and, and self-investment is very important, but it's also crucial to invest in those around you, especially when you're on a team. You have to, it's all about the team. It's not just about the self, right? You, I think you mentioned that earlier today. You can't be so selfish and want to get all this recognition without acknowledging and making sure you put the time in to invest and better the people that are playing around you. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't believe in that. They don't lead that way, which sets them up for ultimate failure. And I feel like I took that mentality. I ran with it. I stayed true to it. And I forced myself to find a company that identified with that. And I finally did. I'm so grateful for it. And now I could take that mentality and lead that way and not fear that, you know, I'm going to have to change or, or pivot away from that at any point in time throughout my career because that is now a part of the culture. It's an expectation. So I'm really grateful for, for where I am right now. And I hope that it continues, you know. Do you feel like where you are right now is, is very representative of, of 30? Or do you think it takes a lot of work to get there? And is it possible to get there sooner? So essentially, is this time-based or experience-based? Uh, you know what? I have a feeling if anything happened any differently, I might not be here. I might have taken a different path and I might be a soulless individual working in complete contrast to what I believe today. Hmm. So with that being said, should we wrap it up? Turk, you of all people know you should always wrap it up. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's how I have two kids, man. I don't know that. Clearly, there was a deficiency in my knowledge. And that's when we lost our Trojan sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Trojan, don't do it if you have kids. Don't. And I, that's why we lost Lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even get Lifestyle? <laughs> what's, what's the brand at the 99 cent store? Lifestyle. Is it? Okay. No, it's like, uh, I don't know, some bottom barrel shit. Life scan. These two episodes have really focused on the journey. And the journey is something that defines our purpose in life. A lot of people might not be able to identify with this purpose yet because they might not have discovered what it is that makes them tick. And that's okay. I think a lot of people get hung up in this idea of everybody else has figured out what they're quote-unquote passionate about or what they're meant to do or, as you say, purpose. And... I think it takes a lot of time and self-reflection to really have those self-realizations. A purpose isn't really defined until you can stay true to it in perpetuity. I, I get that, but don't you need to at least have an idea of what direction or how you want to be contributing? Absolutely. You absolutely do. And, and, and so going back to you figuring out that you know leadership is what's a core value and very important to you, mm -hmm. figuring that out first is what's driven you. To this point. Yeah, and it all started with Michael Jackson. I think it's just because you like to grab yourself. <laughs> 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 all right.
the minute we start identifying with our purpose is the moment when we gain clarity on our objectives. Focus on what you want to achieve. Achieve it. And don't be afraid of sharing that journey with anyone in your life. Because you'll never know what people might take away from that and who you might indirectly influence as a result of telling that story. And don't be ashamed at your starting point. There's never a starting point too minor or insignificant for you to be proud of. You just got to own your truth. Shake that money maker. And show me what you're working with. So Randy, where can the people show you what they're working with? Find me at I am Randy Z on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Are you sure about that last one? Because it sounds like you did it. Yeah, 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 it's still there. All right. And you can find me at Turk Says No on Instagram and Twitter. Please engage us and let us know what you think about the last two episodes and how you relate to them in any way, shape, or form. And with that note, fuck millennials. Why? Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure you stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on iTunes, and if you really like what you hear, make sure you hit that donate button. Really appreciate it. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turk. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. Peace. Like Mike, that's not the rep. Okay, fine. Not a child molester, but you know. No, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking Michael about Michael Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. yeah, they did a the, the video. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Like Mike. Yeah, yeah. But why? Like, when did you even connect those dots of I want to tell my story or whatever you just said? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really listening, but I think you said something along the lines of how did. You know what? Just go ahead and start talking. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy, are you even listening to me? <laughs> and I was making eye contact the whole time. You were making eye contact, but you were not present. <laughs> you were in fucking China. <laughs> no, I was here until you said... I, I was there until you said I like Mike. Now I can't even use that as an outtake. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how, though. I can't naturally do it, so I have to uh, manufacture it. Did you eat my goldfish? No, you fucking down the whole cup. Okay, sorry. Continue on. <laughs>